Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style Defines Us podcast. We are excited to have Jim Kirshner, president of Cuel, on our podcast today. Cuel, the eponymous Ready to Our label, was founded in 2015 by designer Nikki Cuel. The Cuel aesthetic comes from her love of iconic, quirky Americana prep and her love for all things French. Nikki's parents had a clothing brand, so Nikki grew up in the fashion industry. Her father was known as the king of pants in the 1970s. She always knew she wanted to continue in their footsteps. Nikki went to Parsons in both Paris and New York, and Kewl actually started out as a children's brand, and Stella McCartney, Gwyneth Paltrow, Madonna, lots more as along with those, quickly became fans, which led Nikki to becoming the head of design for children's wear at Brooks Brothers. She later came to the decision that she wanted to design for women, and the Kewl brand that we know and love today was formed, and so today we're talking to Jim, who is the president, and so he went to NYU for undergrad and Harvard for his MBA. He interned at Nina Ricci in PR and worked at Carolina Herrera in wholesale, Bonobos as a an NBA planning intern with the CFDA as a strategy consultant and went through the management development program at Inditech. I met Jim and learned about Kewl while I was working on the buying team at Barney's and this brand Kewl has been spotted on Kelly Rutherford, Miranda Kerr, Reese Witherspoon and so many more. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. First, we're going to start to talk about Jim and his career because obviously he has an incredible resume. He is such a delightful person and it is important to remember while working in the fashion industry or in general in any job to be someone that is pleasant to work with. So he's <laughs> going for him. So did you always know that you wanted to work in fashion? Uh, absolutely not. I actually thought <laughs> I was going to work in the music industry. Oh. I, um, prior to, to undergrad, I was auditioning for conservatories. I thought I wanted to be a singer and then I made a slow transition into thinking, uh, well, maybe I'll work on the business side of the music industry, uh, a little, um, I was a little risk averse at the time. Um, and at NYU, one of the the wonderful things about going there is you you get to intern and interact with businesses your entire four years. So I started interning in the music industry and turns out I hated it. So um, uh, I was, you know, this sounds very um, New York kismet, but I met a woman at a party and she said, hey, I like your personality. I need some help doing some freelance PR and events for my brand. Do you want to come and help a couple hours a week? And, uh, you know, I was still an undergrad at the time, um, but I started working for her, uh, the brand's name is Shelly Steffi. I don't believe she's still doing ready, ready to wear anymore, but it was a fantastic brand, uh, in the, the meatpacking district of New York. Um, and I started working there part-time working in the store, helping with events. And I realized, wow, I actually, I really like this. I'm kind of good at it and let's give it a go. So I pivoted my internships to um, fashion, and that's how I landed at Nina Ricci, and um, the rest is sort of history. A short history, I'm not that old, but <laughs> that's kind of how I <laughs> got my start in the business, yeah. That's hysterical. Well, thank you for sharing that story, because it's a great reminder that it is 
as important, maybe if not more, to learn what you don't like in this journey. And doing that in an internship is mm-hmm. so much better than uh, when you yes. actually have a job because it is very hard to switch career paths because mm-hmm. some people are still in that, you know, traditional, this is the path, climb the ladder. So it's mm-hmm. really great to do that in an internship capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Once you start in the career, it's hard to pivot. After a couple of years, you would have to go back to sort of ground zero. All right. So tell us about the biggest takeaways that you have from your MBA. So I think the number one thing I took away from the experience, especially from the academic side, was uh, the ability to make decisions with imperfect information. So at, at Harvard, everything you learn is through the case method. So you were given a case, a situation um, that a business executive is in um, where they're trying to deal with some sort of challenge or problem. And you have maybe five to 10, possibly 15 pages of background that you have on the situation. And the entire uh, 90-minute class uh, is spent... Uh, debating what the correct course of action is and the class is like super participatory and you're constantly challenging each other's ideas. So um, you don't have perfect information. You're probably not familiar with that industry um, because uh, the coursework covers the whole world, um, geographies, industries, um, positions, um, but you're, you're really challenged to to think on your feet and analyze a situation without knowing, um, without knowing everything. And I think the way that applies to every business is so clear because you're never going to have every single piece of information that you have. And if you, if you do wait that long, the opportunity has probably passed you by. I I think the world is so fast these days, um, that you need to be able to, to act quickly and, um, and to know what are the important things, the important piece of information that you need and what are some, you know, what are red herrings? What are things that you don't need to, to focus on so much? I think the other thing um, from my MBA that was super important for us to know was just the, uh, the power of networks. Uh, you know, post MBA, I've, I've stayed super close to my MBA uh, classmates and also um, other alumni of the school um, as a sounding board, especially in an entrepreneurial role where you don't necessarily have a huge team to, to sit around a table and bounce ideas around. Right. I can go to a number of other CEOs or presidents who are in similar companies or similar um, situations um, and ask them, how are they handling this? How are they um, solving this challenge? Um, and having that network is super, super helpful um, yeah, and valuable. Those are both great answers, really great answers. It's so interesting because a lot of people say graduate school was great. The main thing was the people that I met and the relationships. But what you said is beyond important, especially like right now. You probably took that knowledge and really used it during COVID, you know, <laughs> things like that where no one knows. There's not even anyone yeah. you could ask. Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. And I think it's also interesting being in a situation where not everyone comes from the same background. Um, at least, um, you know, most people in the MBA classroom are not from the fashion industry. So you're learning from people 
um, who are in finance or consulting or industrials or, you know, whatever it, it happens to be. Um, and I think it's super interesting to apply learnings from other fields mm-hmm. to your own, to your own industry. I actually just read a book um, called Range by, by David Epstein, and it's all about the power of generalists. And like the more wide ranging your knowledge is, like the better you're able to, to solve problems and think innovatively. Um, and I think um, that's also been super helpful thinking like, okay, I have this finance challenge, but for my fashion business, like how do you bridge those gaps? Right. Um, it's, it's, you know, a really it's a, a nice skill to have to, to kind of think outside of your, your horse blinders of your industry. It can be very easy um, to just say like, well, this is how this is done in our industry. This is, we're just going to keep going and doing it. Um, but especially these days, no one knows what's going to happen. So you, you've got to be, you've got to be creative. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's like Delia went to the college of William and Mary and I don't think they had ever had anybody interested in passion. They were all, you know, and, you know, these super brilliant people, but they didn't know what to do with you. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that, that's such great advice. I like that idea about the power of it being a generalist. And it's interesting because people say jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. You know, I I will be honest. I think it's challenging early in your, your career, um, to perhaps find that next step as a generalist. Um, you know, I did. I did PR, I did wholesale, I did e-commerce planning, I did um, tech and operations, and now um, you know I'm a general manager, but it wasn't so easy for the hiring manager in some of these spots to say like, oh, well, you did yeah. uh, you know, X, that means you're obviously gonna be great at Y. Right. Um, I do think it presents some challenges early on, but I'm so happy at this stage in my career that I, I've seen so many different functional areas and I know how all of the pieces of the puzzle fit together. I think that makes me, um, it, it just, it helps me do my job. Absolutely. 100%. You that oh, yeah. and right. Yeah. It's so important. That's why the interning again, because that's a great opportunity to do that is to get to work in all the different departments so you can see what you like versus what you don't like, but you also have a greater understanding. So when I started at Versace and wholesale for the internship. By the time I got to buying at Barney's, I understood the vendor's perspective. So I could understand totally. like they're waiting on these selling reports sitting there because they, in order to do their job, their next step for their boss, you know, all of that. So I had could sympathize with what was happening mm-hmm. on the other side, which was very important. Yeah, absolutely. What does a day in the life of the president of Kewl look like? <laughs> Uh, well, I know this sounds cliche to say, but there are no, uh, no two days are the same. Like every day is like totally different. Um, I would say, you know, for a small business, you really get your hands dirty in, in all aspects of the business. Um, there are days where I'm in meetings from morning till night, but I would say a lot of the times, um, I'm trying to think strategically about, um, you know, where are the opportunities in the business? I try to really carve out um, some thinking time to, to understand, um, you know, where we can continue to grow. I think it's really easy to get your head down and just answer emails as they come in and tackle all of the, uh, the problems in your immediate business and put out all your fires. Um, and then you don't have any time left to think about how you actually continue to grow. Um, that said, um, I do have to, you know, I'm constantly talking to potential collaboration partners. I'm managing our team. 
looking at our selling both online and wholesale, reviewing creative. Um, you know, it's, you really do have to have at, at some level a hand in, in everything to understand the way your, your business is moving forward. Um, but you also want to trust that you've built a team that can, can handle challenges on their own and that they're, um, you know, they're executing to the best of their abilities and taking so much of that off of your plate. Absolutely. What are some things to keep in mind throughout one's career? Uh, I think one thing to keep in mind is that there is no one true path that works for everybody. Uh, and I think you can see from, from my own background, I started in music. I got a, I had a music degree in undergrad and I started working in the, in the fashion industry. I, I think um, sometimes people get fixated on the, on the thought that everything has to be perfectly sequential and one thing leads to the other, which leads to the other, and it has to be super planned. Um, and I think it does happen that way sometimes, but more often than not, people, if you are open to opportunities and you are doing good work wherever you are, um, you can progress through your career without having to be um, overly strategic. I think being strategic is important, but I think, um, I see people trying too quickly to move from position to position just because they think, okay, my 18 months is up. It's time to move on and I need to get the bigger title, the bigger yeah. whatever. And I just don't know that that's long-term uh, always the best thing. I think being open to change is important, but I think also being open to, um, to the ambiguity and to the spontaneity of opportunity is also really important. Yes, we completely agree. How did you learn to be a manager? It's a good question. Um, I think in some ways you just have to start doing it. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a manager in your professional career. But, um, you know, even in high school, are you on the boards of some clubs or are you running for student office? Uh, you know, you can do that in high school and college. Um, taking leadership positions, whether they're paid or not, is, is really important to understand if that's something that you enjoy or it's something where you, where you need to further develop your skills. Um, and then I do think having a network of people who are going through similar challenges is really important because they can teach you a lot about how to, like how they are managing people and how they are thinking about certain situations. I haven't worked in so many like large organizations where there have been true um, like official mentoring programs, but I have had mentors in my life um, unofficially um, who I've gone to, you know, for certain questions that, that have helped me understand how to, how to deal with certain things. And I think um, that has helped me be a better manager, just getting that perspective. Um, and most of all, it's about having empathy for your people and understanding where they're coming from. Uh, like, as you mentioned, going, being a buyer, but understanding the wholesale side, I think that's also applicable in, in management. You are a manager, but you remember being an individual contributor and the challenges that you faced. So how can you make the work easier for them? How do you make it, um, how do you set them up for success? 
Right. And you mentioned before micromanaging and trusting your team to do it. So, you know, not micromanaging because you probably would remember what that feels like if you've ever experienced that. And so important as a leader to trust your team and not try to do everything yourself, be able to Mm -hmm. delegate. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Advice for someone looking to work in the fashion industry on how to break in. This is a this is a tough one. I think um, well, it depends on where you are. If you're in New York, I think it's easier. Uh, I think if you're outside of one of the the major fashion hubs, it can be a little bit more challenging. Um, so I would say definitely read as much as you possibly can. Um, read Business of Fashion if you have a school subscription to WWD. Get that. Um, just absorb all the information in the industry so you can see kind of what's going on, what the possible roles are. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, networks are incredibly powerful, especially in the fashion industry. So try to go through your own network. And if you don't have your own network, um, go through your school's network, um, or, um, honestly, don't be afraid to cold email companies that you think are interesting. Um, understanding that you're not going to get a perfect hit rate. Not everyone's going to respond and not everyone will have time to, to answer your request. Um, but I think what's important when you do those things is to share how you could potentially create value for whoever you're reaching out to. Don't just reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. Um, because no one these days or very few people have time to just pick brains with whoever reaches out. Um, but if you say like, I am a student and I'm really interested in your business because of these things that you're doing, they're really intriguing. I have these few questions about them. And also I would love to, you know, if you're open to doing a small project, I would intern for you. I would do this, whatever. I I think pitching yourself in a way that's not just, I need to take something from you, but also like, I would love to help further some, some goal that you may have. Yeah. that's And I would also say the random connection on LinkedIn is not, personally, I think that's the worst thing in the world when someone's like, Hey, I see that you're a person. Let's connect. (laughs) I I don't know who you are. Like, no, like if once we've had a conversation, I will happily connect with you. But I, I if I don't know you, that's not gonna work. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. (laughs) I know people kept calling me, you know, and I'd be like, Delia, this is Uncle Jim's sister's child's friend. And they're coming to New York and they would love to take you to lunch on Saturday. And she's like, mom, I'm working 24 seven. I cannot go meet these people to talk to somebody who probably isn't even going to end up in the fashion industry. You know, yeah. so it definitely, you're, you're so right about that. Okay. Switching gears just a little bit. How did Cule come about? Uh, well, I think Delia did a good job of, uh, of describing the business. Um, but just to, to back up a little bit, you know, Nikki had a luxury kids business and it was super successful. Um, uh, but then her kids grew up. She kind of lost interest in doing purely children's wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started a, a full women's collection um, prior to 2015. So it was probably 20, 2011, 2012. Um, but she always said it was, it was hard for, for editors and for stores to, to um, not to understand it necessarily, but to, it, was, it was hard to break in because there were so many brands and, um, you know, you really had to stand for something and she realized, okay, I'm going to really focus down, uh, my business into 
one category that I'm going to get absolutely right. And she took a year and a half to develop the perfect striped tee. Uh, she was always a, a collector of stripes. Stripes have been in her kids' collection, in her women's collection, um, and she's collected them forever. But she always found that like there was one thing wrong with each one. There, either the, the fabric wasn't right or the fit or the hem or the weight. Uh, so she decided to to set out and make her perfect versions. Um, and that was in 2015 when I was uh, looking to to leave giant corporate fashion with Inditex. I was currently, or at the time I was working for Indi Zara in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to get back to New York um, and do something more entrepreneurial. And we got connected and... And that was that. Yeah. I mean, I saw a huge opportunity with Nikki. She's so creative um, and had such great uh, experience and knowledge of the industry. It, it wasn't just um, a bright eyed Parsons grad who was launching their first collection. She had been in the trenches and understood production and um, how to really build a business. And I think that was really important to me if I was going to do something so so early stage to have a partner that that really understood what it takes to to run a business right and, and maybe i'm wrong but well she seems like she's super creative and if you were interested in music and you were a you know a, a voice major or whatever you obviously are very creative too so this 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 brand i mean i think that was the perfect fit for you yeah it, it really was i think i i'm definitely a creative person but um I now uh, I'm certainly on, on the business side of things, but having that creative component has always been really important to me. Um, and whether that was working at uh, Carolina Herrera, which is such a creative environment right. um, or what I'm doing now, like that's super fulfilling to me. I think right. there were stages of my career that were less creative I and mean, I was working in operations and technology for, for Zara, which was super interesting from a um, from a business perspective, and you know they're such an innovative company and they're so well run, but it, there's not a lot of opportunity for creativity. And so going to a smaller business where you, you have a lot more uh, opportunity to to kind of to go where to go where you want in in your business and be creative um, that was really important for me. And it's a great reminder too. There are many ways. To run a business but I feel like sometimes brands get kind of lost people have a dream to start their own brand so if they're kind of like lost in that space figuring out okay this is the one thing I'm gonna own and perfect mm -hmm. and then I can later expand upon that once I am known in that foundation mm -hmm. has been laid. yeah yeah I think from a PR perspective and just a, a customer awareness perspective it was really important that we had that go-to product that people understood and um it was a really easy pitch to to say we're we're cool we make the perfect striped tee right versus we're cool we make really great clothes like right. <laughs> that's a that's a harder pitch right. Right. exactly <laughs> yeah talk to us about the power of the stripe <laughs> so uh stripes are they're so classic, but at the same time, they can be super modern. And I think that's um, what makes them so powerful. Uh, you know, you put them on and you can feel put together, but also casual. And they're good for all age brackets. We always say we can dress the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter um, mm -hmm. with the same collection. 
And uh, I think that's, that's super powerful. It gives you a, a much broader customer range and it allows you to kind of mm-hmm. grow up, to grow up in the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about that, but that's so true. So true. That's great. Like for Delia and me, you know. Exactly. Yeah. When I'm walking down the street wearing my cool t-shirt, people are like, oh, is that a cool t-shirt? <laughs> so, so, so that being said, tell us about the iconic and discreet logo. Yeah, so this is, I think, one of Nikki's more brilliant moves. Um, she does many, many brilliant things, but this, yes. I think, was super special. Uh, she recognized very early that everyone has a stripe on their line, whether it's Zara or Saint Laurent, like there are stripes everywhere. Yes. Um, and at the same time, she's not a logo person. Um, she's very, um, you know, discreet in the way she dresses. Um, she has incredible style, but it's not about logos at all. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, she wanted everyone to, to kind of understand that this was a QLT. So how do you market? Mm-hmm. So she branded our stripe tees with a double stripe at the bottom. So offset on the bottom hem, we have a, a poppy red and blue stripe. And it, it, it's the kind of thing that if you know it, you know it. And if yes. you don't, you may not recognize it right away, but it definitely gives a bit of intrigue. Um, you know, so many customers will tuck in, they'll do the, uh, the tan France, French tuck. So you can kind of see the labels hanging out. Um, uh, and it's just, it's become something also from a product development perspective that we can use as we launch new categories. We've added that little tab to socks or the trim of a sweater. Um, you know, it just allows us to be really flexible with lots of different kinds of products, not just tees. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's another great thing about establishing something that is true and unique to your brand and recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess you would you would know about this, but you would not believe about how people just have these brands with all these different things going on, and <laughs> it's so hard for everyone to remember anything these days because so much information is coming at us. So if she really perfected owning mm-hmm. one thing and having some sort of iconic symbol that maybe even kind of happened accidentally, mm-hmm. that she didn't know how big of a deal it was going to be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it also allowed us like from a, even from a palette perspective to be super focused and um, consistent. And I think it can be very easy, especially in the fashion world to say like, I want to always develop and think of the newest thing and chase the trends. But for us, we've always had this poppy red and blue and Navy in all of our collections. Mm -hmm. And yes, we, we circle through all sorts of fashion colors um, every season, but we always have that core piece of our business that is recognizable and there season after season and people start to associate that with our brand. Yeah. I think that has also been a very important building block to, to cool success. I love those colors too. That's my teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is fascinating to us because we went back and forth about all the different fits. So for someone looking <laughs> to get a QLT, walk us through each of the fits so they can determine the best for them. It's so hard to choose. Totally, totally. Well, so we think of the perfect striped tee almost like perfect denim. Like there's no one fit that you're going to wear all the time. So, you know, there's different moods and how you want to style it. Um, 
The first thing I would say is we have a, a new fit guide on our website, so you can check that out on Huel.com. But to give you the quick um, walkthrough, um, the most basic T-shape is, it's called the Modern, and it's straight in the body. It's a lightweight cotton, um, and it comes in a short and long sleeve, and that is our best seller by far. You can wear it all year long. It's a super soft um, Portuguese cotton that, like, you know, just it washes really well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just feels like your, your go-to staple. Then we also have a slightly heavier shirt, which is more, um, in the line of like a typical French stripe. Um, and that comes in a boyfriend fit, which is, uh, our most relaxed fit. It's off the shoulder, longer in the body. And then we also have what's called the classic, which has a, tailored shoulder and a three-quarter sleeve. So more of your lady customer, a more petite customer. Um, and then we've started to expand into featherweights. So we have this incredibly lightweight fabric. Um, it's as light as you can go while still having a, a yarn dye stripe uh, versus a, a printed stripe. Um, and that comes in a cropped shape and also a three-quarter shape. And now we're doing that in a turtleneck. Um, so we, you know, we continue to to expand the line. We're making uh, organic teas as well. So um, it, the the breath <laughs> continues uh, to grow, but um, it really does come down to you know those core, you know, the modern, the boyfriend, the classic. Like, what are your fits? Where you go to um, shapes that you love? And we have customers that come back every season and buy the new color in in their shape. And yeah, continue growing from there. Or replace their original one if they've had it for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and they wear it all the time. <laughs> okay, so we know you started out with this four-piece collection, and now you are expanding. Those socks are so cute. But you have sweaters and cute socks and button-downs. And button-downs. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we... You know, starting with the the perfect striped shirt, we started to think, okay, what are the other items that would fit in this in this world of? And Nikki has experience designing pretty much anything you can name. So it was looking at a line architecture and saying, okay, we have um, these striped tees. What is the next? What is? How do we scale up and down? And so. We thought about the perfect striped cashmere sweater. And so we have a very uh, simple but classic um, cashmere sweater called the Sophie that we sell, again, all year round. Um, and then scaling down, we have a sock that has our little branding on it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say it's half um, just fun, whimsical, wanting to try new things. And then also... Um, half strategic and thinking about how do you own more of a customer's closet? How do you keep them um, coming back for more and and training mm -hmm. uh, or trading up in the in the value chain? That's to me. Me too. Tell us about where and how the QL pieces are made. So the bulk of it is made in Portugal. Um, we, uh, we work with this incredible factory, uh, in the North of Portugal that is, uh, it's female owned and operated. It's, it's all women working there except for one male, the son of the, of the owner. Um, but they're, they're super passionate about what they do. And I think it's, it's really, 
amazing to see the way they they line up all the stripes so your side seams are always perfectly aligned uh they don't they don't waste anything they actually have these little uh suction cup things at the bottom like throughout the factory floor that picks up scraps and then they weave those scraps into rugs uh they're constantly recycling the water and you can actually drink it afterwards so the washing processes are really um really renewable yeah so it's it's really it's important to us that we're not uh you know putting out a product that is shoddily made and also you know something that wouldn't last i think the beauty of our brand is that it's clothes meant to last stylistically and also from a quality perspective yes 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 i just keep thinking about we watched you hadn't seen the royal tenenbaums before Mm. i keep thinking about gwyneth paltrow wearing a cool t-shirt yeah (laughs) you're doing the polo shirts too or not yeah so we do have some polos um we have some knit polos um and then we have a a rugby that's made of our our t-shirt fabric which is actually really um fun but yeah that's so we play around with different uh shapes like that yeah all right so best selling styles what items are you focusing on now that you want to become best seller so the best selling best selling styles traditionally or you know yeah i mean definitely the striped tee um the cream and navy navy cream um our you know our core line um but we've actually been very pleasantly surprised that the white t-shirt has become um, a best-selling style and for us it's super flattering because you can buy a white t-shirt from any brand at any price point and for that to become a huge business really speaks to you know to the power of our product and also to the power of the brand people want to buy into the cool lifestyle and whether it's just a white tee or something a little bit more fashion um it's it's really resonating for them so we're super excited about that um socks as you mentioned have been super super popular um uh you know Nikki made them several seasons ago, almost as a joke, just so we could have something to style with. We were doing a collaboration with Bandir, uh, the fitness brand. She and Jennifer Bandir have been friends for a very long time. Uh-huh. Um, we thought, okay, let's make an athletic sock. And then athletic socks took off. So, um, you know, the beauty of being a direct-to-consumer brand and, um, and launching all these new categories is you can you can test things and if they work you you go bigger and you right. you know you incorporate them into into your full line so right. um those have been popular and then the last thing i would say is like our tote bags um so, we've yeah it's you know we have all of these different categories and i mean i should say sweaters is a huge business for us um but um it's less of a surprise i think that's like more expected from a brand like us but um we have these big canvas tote bags that have become super fun and um iconic to the brand that have also been really amazing yeah i love them i love the way it's you know you know there's the traditional ll bean bean bag or whatever there's like there's this sort of preppy traditional part and then there's this super chic French part and then there's this kind of uh kooky part. You know what I mean? You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Whimsical totally. part. Yeah. 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 And I also wanted to say really quickly about the white t shirt. White t shirts are really not easy to find because that's a piece that I want all my clients to have in their closets. And you would be surprised at how hard it is to find one that actually 
isn't see-through, that actually has the right um, sleeves, the right weight, that it hangs the right way so it's not just huge. So, you, you know, you're nailing that too. So that is just a super go-to piece. That's, that's very important, much more important than people, you know, think because it's so hard to nail the simplest of things, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is true. You know, Nikki has really thought through every detail um, and it's easy to think like, oh, it's just a t-shirt, but you're right. It does, yeah. it does take a lot of perfecting to, to get that exactly Definitely. where you want it. Yeah. And then whenever mom would find one, like for styling clients, the go-to, then they would discontinue it, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I used to love this Vince t-shirt a long time ago. So then that all changed and it just kept happening over and over again. So, so I'm <laughs> glad to be able to recommend Kewl now. Yes. Tell us about the lighthearted nature and cheeky phrases of Kewl. Well, um, on the lighthearted nature, we just think uh, everyone needs a mood booster these days. Um, and, you know, the brand has always been um, happy and whimsical and um, not so serious. We take our business very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. Uh, and I think that's, you know, just important in life, um, you know, <laughs> just yes. to keep in mind, you know, we're selling t-shirts at the end of the day. So let's make it fun and, and upbeat. Um, so, uh, just some phrases that have come about in the office, Nikki, anytime something's going wrong, Nikki used to, to, you know, shout out, Oh boy, kind of like, all right, well, we're going to deal with this, like another thing to deal with, but we'll figure it out. And so we threw it on a t-shirt a couple seasons ago <laughs> and, um, yeah, kind of just started a chain reaction of uh, new little like lighthearted phrases that we um, put on t-shirts or socks and bags and people really loved. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think um, that like mood boosting element of the brand, especially right now, has really resonated with people. Um, yeah, no one wants serious fashion um, these days. They want something that can... Um, make their day a little bit better, even if it's just throwing on a comfy pair of socks and a t-shirt. And, you know, the iconic, but almost like forgotten smiley face. I mean, that. Oh, yeah. Just having that, you know, that's yeah. just so comforting and uplifting and, and also super cool at the same time. Yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, I was uh, with Nikki a couple weeks ago going through her children's wear archives and there, you know, she's been making smiley face stuff for mm -hmm. 20 years, um, mostly for kids, but now we're heading it to our women's yeah. collection. And it's amazing. Every, every time we put a smile on something, people, people want to wear it. It's, um, you know, people are looking for that, that happy, that, that level of levity. So, uh, yeah, those have been really fun. Yeah. Uh, love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Now, I want to know, we both would like to know about the significance about the 1973 t-shirts, like the one you're wearing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we started working with uh, a company called Prink Shop a couple years ago um, on a t-shirt um, with the 1973 design. And the proceeds of this tee go to the NIRH, the National Institute for Reproductive Health. Uh, and 1973 is the year of Roe v. Wade. So we, we wanted to um, 
to visually commit support and um, also commercially give support um, to the organization um, by creating this tea. Uh, I think you know I think it's really important that even though we have this this happy lighthearted brand that um, we still stand for something. Yeah. Um, and you know we're we're a small business and we don't pretend that we're changing the world, but we want to do whatever we can with our business and our in our lives like what what else are we here for but to make other people's lives better so let's um let's still have a a, a great brand but let's contribute to a greater good so we've done a, like a number of of charity collabs over the years and um i think it's just really nice for a customer to feel like they're buying into a brand that that has values and you know, we were afraid maybe in the beginning for a second that we would lose some customers. And I think we certainly did, but those customers that stayed with us um, have an even deeper connection mm-hmm. um, than they did before. Right. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, you can't be everything to everyone anyway, no. but also no. understated. I mean, half the people have no idea what it is. There'll be like <laughs> 1970s. That was a cool year. Or maybe that's when they started. But it, 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 it's not an angry expression do you know what i'm saying like yeah there's some very offensive angry you know things going on right now and it's not it just is perfect for the brand yeah yeah we always wanted our um whatever we did it it still needed to be a positive right um like celebrating that this happened and yes we continue we have to continue to to fight for for women's rights and for all sorts of things um but it's always coming from a place of uh, of celebration and um, right. understanding like the importance of things versus um, taking someone down. Right. Absolutely. How has Cule pivoted during COVID? Uh, well, um, as you know, the wholesale world has right. been very challenged. Uh, so, we really focused all of our energy on developing our online business and we had it on our roadmap to uh, to grow the, the direct-to-consumer business uh, over this year and next year. But just because of external forces, we were really forced to uh, accelerate that, that plan. And uh, it's, it's incredible what focus will do for your business, right. um, not dealing with, um, stores and, you know, I, I have a great wholesale team. I, we work with an agency, um, and they've been incredible with uh, navigating this crisis, but, um, it's taken some, quite a bit of headspace that I used to spend on wholesale. I'm now focusing on, mm-hmm. on digital marketing and site operations and e-commerce. Um, mm-hmm. and we've been able to grow our business in incredibly well during this very weird time. So um, knock on wood, it's, it's actually been a, a really incredible time for Cule. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it's pivoting not only channel, um, channel focus um, in Cule.com, but also in products. So developing more t-shirts, developing more sweatshirts. We made a, um, a short out of our striped tea fabric, a cute little waist, elastic waist short um, that sold out super fast. And we had to go in to make more. We made more colors. And it's, you know, trying to be as reactive as possible mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a world where previously we had 
waited for a couple months for wholesale orders and really right. seeing the selling on the sales floor. And yep. now we say like, okay, we sold out of this in a week. We're making more. Here's the order factory yep. go for it. And, you know, we may pay more in shipping because it's not the size of an order had we waited for two months. But by leaping on that opportunity, we're able to really grow the business and continue to um, sell through product. Right. That all makes sense. That's the, the only thing with direct to consumer is like brand recognition. You know, how do you get that? Yeah. But since you already had a head start on that, that's so great. And, and I know, did y'all, was Barney's your first? Yeah. Store? So that was such a blow to so many people, you know, um, and, and I wanted you to talk to us about a little bit more about wholesale versus D to C strategy. Yeah. So from the very beginning, we knew we wanted to have a strong D2C business. Um, but we also thought that, um, you know, having strong points of physical distribution is incredibly valuable for brand awareness, like you say. Right. Um, and when I was at Zara, I remember someone telling me like the number one way to increase our online sales and the zip code is to put up a sign in a mall saying Zara coming soon. You know, it's just like those, like that street traffic, qualified street traffic can be incredibly valuable for a brand. Um, so for us, uh, we want to have a, and we believe we have a, a symbiotic wholesale relationship where we work with top tier stores. Um, and uh, frankly, it's been in a more limited capacity throughout the, the past six months, given the world that it's, you know, that we're in. Um, but having that elevated presence in Bergdorf Goodman or, you know, Barney's when Barney's was there, um, it, it, it really, it gives the customer, um, even online, uh, some confidence that they're buying a quality product. They're not just getting an Instagram ad and buying a random t-shirt and not knowing what the quality, the quality is. Yeah. So it's, it's been wholesale for us is incredible, profitable marketing. Um, it's, it's, a, it's certainly a volume driver and it can continue to, uh, to grow, but we also given what has happened in the last six months, like we want to be careful that we're not expanding too quickly. And then we're dependent on stores who can not always play so nice. And also who might be, you know, in going out of business bankruptcy themselves <laughs> exactly right. right oh gosh well y'all have a great website mm -hmm. so thank congratulations you. on that and we will thank talk you. more about that later but we encourage everyone to check it out in today's world with so many brands what is your advice on how to stand out it's a really hard thing and it's something that you have to work on constantly. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you have to have a, a great product. That's kind of table stakes. Yeah. Um, but that capital B brand is so important. Uh, understanding the world of, and not just, Oh, here's a great product. We're going to sell it. Right. Because if you think, I actually purchased something from an Instagram ad last week and I was obsessed with the product. It was so great. It arrived so quickly, great customer experience. And then they sent me a discount code the next week. Like if there's anything else you want to buy, here's 20% off. I'm like, great. Okay. And I went to the site and it was just that one or like a handful of 
products and there wasn't anything that I wanted to buy into. I didn't feel like this is a brand that I want to associate myself with Mm -hmm. Um, versus building a lifestyle, building the, Mm -hmm. the, the dream around a brand. Where is your customer going to dinner? Where does she buy her coffee? What bag does she carry? What shoes does she wear? Um, Where does she vacation? Like what interiors is she into? It's like thinking through all of those things um, that seems very loosey goosey and like not um, like strategic in a way, but it's also, it's, I think it's so important to have an understanding of what that looks like and selling that to your, to your customers Um, and like selling that community and having people feel like they're like really buying into not just a product, not just a striped tea, but an ethos of fuel. Like for us, it's um, all of those things I just mentioned, but it's also, it's the lighthearted nature. It's the, the cheeky phrases. It's, it's standing for something. It's all of these little things that um, have to be used super consistently and um, repeatedly uh, that really go into to building, to building a long-term or long-lasting brand. I heard something at a conference a couple months ago or more than a couple months ago now, but uh, around marketing messages uh, and the, the power of consistency. And, and the, the quote was, don't let bored marketers uh, change your, your communication strategy. Meaning it can get tiring to say the same thing over and over and over again, like wear the happy, perfect striped shirt, whatever that is. Um, but it actually, the power of saying that over and over and over is what develops, um, brand loyalty and brand recognition, recognition, and, um, slowly grows your brand equity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what happened to some of the stores as they, it might seem loosey goosey to think about the emotional attachment to a brand, but Without it, if it's all about numbers, it's never going to work. And I think that's what happened to so many stores, you know. Yeah. Lost the emotional connection that a person would have. So Kuhl becomes less of a brand and more of a feeling almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you get it from looking at the website. You, you just really did nail it. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I think another thing, like you say, it's it can't just be about the numbers all the time. You know, we created some you know, the sock we launched not because of numbers, but because we thought it would be fun and we thought it'd be really editorial and we have a cashmere knit poncho. And like, we didn't think that was going to be our number one best selling item of the collection, but it got great editorial traction and it sells the, the spirit of the brand. And I think Nikki's so good about creating not only product that's super, um, saleable and uh, appeals to so many people, but also those unique one-off items that, that elevate the brand and put it in a different category that it's, Mm -hmm. it's not just, not just about the merchandising. It's also about the dream. Right. Absolutely. So going off of that, it is so important to know your customer. So I work sometimes with emerging brands with my consulting based on all the things I learned at Barney's to help them figure out what to do and their strategy. And so I'll say, who is your customer? And it's amazing how often they don't really know, you know, they're not designing or thinking of anything, definitely not going state, taking a step back and getting very macro and thinking about all of those things that you just talked about creating that world. And that is imperative. So 
It's great that you talked about that. And mm-hmm. also with reiterating the message. So Jim, you're going to think this is funny. In the beginning, I wasn't really talking, neither of us really were that like, oh, it's a mother daughter business. Cause I don't know why. And we just weren't. And so, yeah. And so then, you know, I would go out and about and see people and then I would say, oh, you know, my mom or whatever. And they're like, wait, what? That's your mother? I thought that was your stylish older friend. I'm like, I'm sorry. What did you just say? (laughs) This is a mother daughter business. That's like one of the main things that element, you know, you could not believe you feel like you're saying something until you're blue in the face. And nobody knows. They, they right. literally have no idea. So that's, and also, you know, maybe something's old in quotes to you because mm-hmm. you've been designing it for six months or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's completely new to some new person that found you on Instagram or whatever. So find exactly. a way to keep your message consistent and not get bored of that. So if you're getting bored, how can you yourself be creative and reset yeah. tell it? Yeah. Like that's when you lose you lose customers too because the right. old ones are like, where is my brand? And the new one, right. like, well, that was what the old people wore. You know, it's very <laughs> right. hard to, um, to do that. And I know I understand as a designer, it might get repetitive or something, but it is so, that's really great how Nikki does that though. You know, she, she keeps in that same, she keeps in her lane, but she comes up with these, you know, Cool. <laughs> yeah. Right with it. Oh my gosh. And it totally. Stale in any way. No. This is something that I am constantly searching the earth for with podcasts and reading articles and things like that. Any innovative marketing tips that we should be thinking about out of the box? Hmm. Um, I mean, there are so many different things that you can do with marketing. Um, I think the best advice I've gotten recently was as a small business, you can do anything. And that is the opportunity. The challenge is that you have to actually do it. So you can't do everything. I would say commit to a handful of things, do those incredibly well, measure the success and the things that are working, keep doing them. Uh, the things that don't work, stop doing them. And then you continue to, to layer on. I think it's really easy to get distracted um, given all of the different things that you can do and all the channels that you can use to market. Um, But if you understand your customer and you try a couple of initiatives and you truly track the success of those, um, I think that's the way you're going to, to see a change in your business. That's great advice. That's really great advice. All right. What's next for QL? Well, we have some really exciting product collaborations in the pipeline um, in September, October, November. So definitely um, follow along um, on Instagram and on our email list. We have some, we're just, we're so excited for the end of the year. Um, And then, you know, now that the brand is less dependent on, on wholesale, we're able to be a lot more playful with the products. So we can drop product more frequently we can um, just be a little bit more experimental and, and try some more things because um, we have you know better flexibility with our factories and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, continue to continuing to build on this on this mood boosting happy brand. Uh, you know, there's so many different things we can continue to do, but uh, you know, one thing that's really important to us is 
building a more inclusive brand, especially in light of the world and um, sure. you know, the movements of the past couple of months, um, being more aware of the, the talent that we cast in photo shoots and you know, the people that we work with and even are you know, going through the supply chain and making sure that we're working with people who value diversity um, and, you know, we acknowledge our own shortcomings and constantly work to, to fix those and, um, and to get better. So that's, you know, those kinds of things are really important to us. Yeah, that's great. And sometimes shortcomings were just, um, just lack of knowledge. Yeah. Didn't know until you started looking at it. You're like, oh. Right. Right. Yeah. But now we know. So now there, you know, there's no more, there are no more excuses. So we have to, um, we just have to get better and we're, and we're working on it. Yeah. I think it's very exciting. I feel very hopeful about it for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So many opportunities to expand your brand and it's Mm -hmm. really important for someone to see themselves in Mm -hmm. the marketing and all of that. And then, Mm -hmm. then they're going to be huge fans too. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people find Kewl? Kuehl.com. That's K-U-L-E.com. That's the best place to find the full product assortment. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on Shopbop and we're at Burger Goodman and great stores like um, Pool Shop in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a strong specialty store network, um, but I always suggest going to the website first. And then if you have any questions, just get in touch with us and We'll point you in the in the right direction if you want to shop at one of our wholesale partners. Right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was a delight to learn all about you and Kewl and all the incredible things you're doing. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.